0: Hey, this is Chuck Dixon, and you're listening to Signal of Doom. Well, oh, you know, for me, the action is the juice. I'm in. Hello and welcome to Signal of Doom. We've got a very special episode, a very special cast David Zeb Cook uh, from so much D&D fame, Elder Scrolls Online fame. Zeb, how are you and welcome to the show?
1: Well, I'm, I'm
0: doing well today. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and, and I'm glad to be here.
0: Well, that's fantastic. And it's hands across the ocean again for Singlet of Doom. We're, we're, we're beaming in from Sydney, Australia. Where are you based, Zeb?
1: Uh, I'm in uh, Tacoma, which is just south of Seattle on the West Coast.
0: Oh, lovely. Yeah, lovely. Um, well, firstly, Zeb, we've got, I, I want to mention, we've got obviously my own inane silly questions, and we've got people have come in from like Reddit and uh, Elder Scrolls Online group and all sorts, of, all sorts of people have asked questions. So we'll jump into it. Um, now, the first thing I want to mention is just yesterday, we had, I'm sure you're familiar with the name, Ed Greenwood on the show um oh yeah 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 uh, such a nice guy and um we were chatting back and forth and obviously <clears throat> i know the two of you you know you were working at tsr for a long long time which we're gonna get into but he mentioned to, to me he said you had a reputation at tsr that you were extremely valuable amongst the designers because they would present things and you would often say that won't work and i will tell you why <laughs> is that true <laughs> Uh, yeah, I did have kind of that reputation.
1: (laughs) I wasn't trying to be mean or anything. I would just kind of, my way of looking at stuff is when somebody kind of goes over, first thing I do is I try and figure out, well, well, how is this going to break?
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So you could sort of see the flaws.
1: So... Yeah, that was kind of how I got that reputation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Did that ever rub any designers, the other designers or game developers, the wrong way? Did you ever? Ha- was there ever any sort of little, little, little office infighting about that? Or, well, you know?
1: there were people who at times would disagree, um, and you know, I wasn't always right either.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love it. So, um, you started uh, at TSA, Am I right in the late seventies? Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I started at TSR in '79. Wow, very late '70s.
0: Right, and and you went all the way through into the mid '90s, correct? Uh, I think I left in '94. Wow, so that's a long run at TSR. That really is. That's covering a few ups and downs, isn't it? Really, that's uh...
1: uh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> all but the last really big one so yeah uh, yeah.
0: yeah okay um now i want to um get straight into obviously one of the key things for me was in i i got into it in the mid 80s and one of the first books i picked up that wasn't a player's handbook or um you know the dm's guide was the oriental adventures which i know you your name wasn't on the cover but you wrote this didn't you zed the orient the original oriental adventures
1: yes yes i did
0: Oh, well, um, it was it was fan Like, honestly, Zeb, it was fantastic for a young guy just getting into it. I had an interest, and I mean a very sort of vague interest in samurais and stuff. I didn't even really understand it. And then I, I read this book that you put out. And take us through the conception of it. Um, it must have was – it, was it a really big job to do Oriental Adventures? Because it was new classes and all sorts of things.
1: Yeah, well, it was it was a big job and also a kind of a mad rush, too. Because, uh-huh. uh, yeah, um, the, the reason being that originally it was going to be done by somebody else. And I was supposed to be, I was going to be providing kind of internal assist and in this sort of thing. Right. And, and it became clear very, not very long into the project that the person that had been chosen for it didn't, was not going to be able to deliver.
0: So you had and, to kind of step in.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, there was a, <laughs> yeah, there was, there was definitely some negotiation and drama all involved with that. Really? But, um, uh, and uh, yeah, so I it wound up basically that I, I needed to, you know, I, I needed to take it over. But at the same time, I had a full schedule of work right and uh, uh so it was on a, like
0: on other stuff tsr stuff
1: and yeah it was on other tsr things mm-hmm. and i was told that yeah you're gonna have to do that off hours right um and it got to the point where the job was so big that eventually that it was kind of like you know this has to be done because it was promised a random house at a, on a specific date yep. and towards the end of it, it was like well if if you need to work on it in the office to get it done, fine. But mm. you know, so it was it was a very, very fast paced project.
0: Really, and yet it's so like I I reviewed it. Um, you know, coming into this interview, I went back and looked at it for the first time in say twenty years. You know, and I'm like I'm amazed because you had to bring in. Well, obviously, back in those days, the original D&D, it was kind of more Western medieval, would you say? Like, you know, it was... So the Eastern stuff, it it kind of wasn't in the original game, and you kind of had to bring in... I'm looking at things... I'm, the stuff I haven't thought of in, in decades, like the say the Swordmaster. Uh, you also redid the monk class, um, which I know was always a big thing in original D&D, like monks were sort of considered overpowerful, but you kind of redid that in the Oriental Adventures, didn't you?
1: Yeah, well, I, I never, I never liked original D anD D because yeah, they were overpowerful and they were like, like you said, it was a very Western kind yeah. of themed fantasy and and they just didn't fit in and it's not had anything against you know like oh Asian monks or so, sure. but it was a such a kind of a rip off of a kung fu the TV series
0: <laughs> yeah um,
1: and it it was done trying to basically provide all the other stuff that would say, saying, well, we're going to be bringing in other uh, creatures, kinds no, here's a monk, and it's, yeah, just drop it into whatever, it doesn't make sense
0: yeah, okay, and I remember, um, the ninjas, I love the way that those guys could go through walls there, that was a great move by you, like because you were thinking, obviously you're coming in, you're thinking ninjas and samurais had to be in it, didn't Oh, Zeb, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Sorry, I think I lost you there for a second. I'll just repeat what I was saying. Okay. Um, I love the way ninjas, you could get those two guys to go through walls. Like, you kind of mix the fantasy with sort of the reality. Is that is that one of the secrets when you're designing a game like D&D, which is fantasy-based, but you take inspiration from the, the real thing? Uh,
1: do try. I mean, I do that a lot. i am. Mm. I actually been a been, uh, justifiably accused of dragging too much historical stuff into things.
0: right?
1: Um, uh, but, um, yeah, it, it's, if you want your fantasy a lot, a lot of times to feel right, then you need to kind of make sure it's, you know, you want things to feel grounded. Yeah. And the, you know, for me, the best way to do that is to, to, uh, you know, incorporate a lot of the, the kind of the history side of it. Yeah, And then still, but still try to make sure that you've got, like, well, what is it that makes this, you know, fantasy and fun?
0: Yeah, well, um, speaking of that... A lot of times think, it
1: worked well, sometimes
0: I go overboard. Well, man, I'll tell you what Oriental Adventures had on on top of everything else. It had one of the all-time great covers. I, you know, I'm sure you've said the guy with the sword, and then he's got the weird beast that he's on. Like, it's it's like, it's not a horse, but it's like a horse, except it's more like a cat. You, you know, it's a fantastical creature, but then it's kind of a ninja and samurai so you're juxtaposing kind of like real life things like ninjas and samurais with the fantastical i always thought it was a really good sell into the product um i'm not sure who did the artwork on that um but it was it was a great piece of artwork do you remember it
1: oh yeah yeah i'm trying to remember i think that was an easily piece yeah it was beautiful
0: man it was beautiful yeah um, now, I remember when I was playing, uh, and and sorry, my apologies to the audience, I played a samurai, but I played a samurai who'd washed ashore in the normal Western realms, because I could never get anyone to DM a game for me in the Oriental at the time. Um, was I, And I, I remember in the book, I remember this from back in the 80s, that you had a line in there that if the Western people went over to the oriental adventures side they wouldn't have the same honor system they would always be considered outsiders was that that was interesting to me and as a young kid that struck me because um, that was that was for people who had you know get let's say they had a game in Shatteredale and they go all the way to uh Carator and the west the eastern side was that important to you to kind of you had that honor system kind of thing that the that the oriental adventures people had And if the people from the West came in, there was kind of like a bit of a clash, wasn't there? Yeah,
1: I mean, well, that that was kind of a little bit of me be trying to be trying to uh, both be a little historic and also kind of reflect the the cultural differences, Mm. uh, because you know a lot of a lot of accounts and stuff that you read from like uh, you know Western Mm. explorers or travelers who first show up in Asian countries and stuff Mm. is that yeah the the difficulty of fitting in and kind of understanding you know yeah their role and of also getting you know people to you know accept them as i won't you know i won't say that they won't accept them as equals but they won't necessarily accept them as they'll always view them as foreigners sure. and, and yeah. so yeah and so you know wanted to try and kind of make sure that that was feeling kind of remained but you just didn't have some guy coming oh yeah and i'm gonna do this and then you know i'm I'm this uh fighter from god knows where and i'll just fit in i'll just blend in perfectly <laughs>
0: <laughs> i always remembered as well because you were saying plate armor and stuff would basically rust you i guess due to the humidity and stuff and it was more the the samurai uh, style armor which people were sporting if they were based over there i, I always thought it was i thought it was great um, now we had on, um, we, we've had Ed Greenwood on twice, and I know he created Faroon, I believe it's called. Um, and you created Carator. Now I know that at some point, I assume they joined the two once they bought Ed's world and obviously your world. So take us through that and those negotiations. Like how fully formed was Carator for, by you? Had you mapped it all out, and then TSR decided to weld the two together? I. Uh, Take us through um, that. We
1: we kind of mapped it out organically as as we as we worked on it. I mapped out you know a small but small amount of it mm-hmm. uh, to because again trying to get the the uh, ordinal adventures rulebook done yeah. was was kind of like the the bulk of my time. Yeah. But you know as we released um, you know the modules and supporting field we kind of organically started to expand that, and we you know referenced to places and all this sort of stuff, and then. When they uh, decided to they kind of merge the two, yeah, um, it became a matter of like, okay, we need to work out a map. And then one of the things that was really pretty, you know, we had this, here are the rough pieces of the map. We need to fill in a lot of empty holes. And so we start, you know, you start looking for, well, what are all the other kind of, you know, cultures? Because, cultures, you know, yeah. we didn't really have much on Southeast Asian kind of cultures or anything like that, you know, that we can kind of fit in here. Um, and uh, I don't remember if that was about the time that uh, uh, the uh, Arabian Adventure stuff was being done. Oh,
0: yeah, I forget what that was called, Al-Qadim or something like that. Yeah, Al-Qadim, yeah.
1: about yeah. Al-Qadim, and, you know, so so it became kind of, you know they wanted Al- Al-Qadim was designed clearly as part of uh, Forgotten Realms, and so it was like, okay, we need to kind of, let's expand this whole thing out. So... We never, but the maps that we had done never really kind of looked at the overall ground scale of sure. of stuff. <laughs> and, and the the really funny part is that once we kind of put together the the Carateur map, and they they did those great big uh, trail map sheets. what yeah. They did one for for Waterdeep and the and the and the West, and then there was another one that was caratour, so you can marry them all together. And Jeff was like. <laughs> pointing out that I, I had now created like three times the amount of territory of, of the rest of the Forgotten
0: Realms.
1: And how, well, all I could do was go like, well, yeah, it's it's Asia. Asia is really
0: big. I was going to say, Asia is a big place. Like, it's you know, there's many, many cultures. So, you no, know, it's it's really interesting to me. I, I guess I love that kind of stuff um, because it was kind of clever of TSR to sort of marry it all up. And that way you could have everyone playing on a really big planet and you could kind of dial into what areas you kind of wanted to, to go into. I think it's was super clever, but um, I wanted to know, I remember being a young guy and how, how, how much support did TSR give the Oriental uh, Asian setting? Like, was it a lot of modules like compared to the Western realms? Cause it felt like they never quite gave it the same push.
1: No, it, it never got the same push and I'm not, that's, that's, reflective of basically we, we knew pretty much that kind of thing would happen that Western Westernized fantasy was really always going to be the stronger sell. Sure. Um, and, uh, so they, they gave it, they gave it a, they gave it a reasonable push. They, uh, I can't remember exactly how many modules they did. Um, but you know, they, they were business. They looked at the sales on the modules, that sort of stuff. And they would go like, Oh yeah, we need to like, you know, we need to kind of focus our attention on, on the things that are actually going to like you know sell the volumes that they 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 wanted. I mean, it got a box set for tour yeah. It got you know a number of modules. This is you know so in okay. many ways yeah. significantly more than other other settings and other kind of things had got later on. Yeah. So
0: yeah. no, I mean I I just always thought it was excellent, and I and I always felt like. Um, there could have been maybe been more books as well you know because i i still think i it's an interesting interesting thing uh, speaking of um uh, i know you're interested in video games and work in video games have you ever played ghost of tsushima because that's an incredible samurai game oh yeah yeah that's that's brilliant like i i play that and i ha- i have a time in my life it's basically assassin's creed uh, in um, Japan, you know, <laughs> it's fantastic. That, that's I've never heard that described that way, but that's a pretty good take. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> now I know um, we're, we're we're flashing forward because back this is obviously back in the eighties. You did all this, and I was a young kid, and I was just loving it. Um, modern day, I know that there's been kind of a mild PC backlash, um, kind of against Oriental Adventures. Did you get any of that backlash at the time back then, like? You know, you know how there's kind of—I don't know even the words to describe it—but people seem, some people seem to take offense. Not, might not be the right word, but there's a little bit of a PC undercurrent. Have you? Did you capture any of that at the time, or was there none of it?
1: No, we didn't. We didn't really. We didn't really get that at the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, frankly, yeah, times have changed, and sure, with sure. that comes yeah. changes in attitudes and things. Sure. We we did actually. I did actually try to, uh, uh spend, uh, get, get, um, we had, oh, I think we had a, a, uh, group of, uh, Japanese role players cool. who, who were able to give some, give some advice and kind of review some of the manuscript stuff. Uh, and, uh, um, but yeah, you tried it to was, it them. was hard. It was hard. Yeah. It was, you know, it was not easy to get a lot of, uh, you know a lot of eyes on it like again like i said the time frame was so
0: short you're punching it was, it, I can, it was a you, challenge you're punching it out against the deadline and i look i think you did a fantastic job and i think a lot of people uh would thank you because you kind of like you know a lot of young people were interested in samurais and ninjas you know what i mean like that's all we knew and and at least it opened our eyes to the wider world you know uh so i i i oh, you a debt of thanks for that because i always thought it was fantastic there was a Funny conversation with a friend of mine recently. We were playing a little bit of D&D. And I was saying, oh, we should go and do the Oriental Adventures. And he was, like, outraged. And I'm like, why are you so outraged? Because oh, I thought he was going to stop me being a samurai. And he goes, he just didn't like the name. And I'm like, Jesus, that it? Like, really? That That's <laughs> that's the outrage? And I was just like, very easy to offend some people these days, you know? <laughs> Uh, um, now I've got a question here, uh, Zeb from Pendip. Uh, he wants to know um, if you still play. I guess Dungeons and Dragons, and if you're familiar with Five E, and if so, what do you like or dislike about it? Do you still get a chance to play?
1: I play only very rarely. It's been been difficult to you know find time sure. and groups, and and frankly. When you got it when it went over to video games it yeah. video game work is kind of becomes all consuming yeah um and uh you you could often leave the office and get back and and go like i'm I'm done, I don't yeah. want do to yeah yeah i I'm,
0: I'm I'm all gamed out, you know yeah
1: <laughs> but um but I have played five e um some, and uh, i Everybody has their favorite editions, of course, mine will always be second edition, and I won't you know, so, just be flat up about that because hey so, I'm biased yeah. uh, no, man, yeah. but I do think they did they did um, many things I really do like in 5e, which is one is was the emphasis to get back to this is adventure, this is story um, you know this is not about trying to get every rule modifier and all that sort of stuff yeah and to basically try and streamline the the the, the mechanics side, so that you could focus on on the you know the storytelling and the role playing side. Yeah. Um, and you know, I like I think you know the advantages disadvantage system was a pretty interesting approach. There's some nice you know I I do like you know clever mechanics and that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, and. Overall, generally, I think they did a good job. Yes, I have my, my nits to pick,
0: sure. and I'm not going to do that here. I was going to say, I mean, feel free. Like, I'm no expert. I'll I tell you what I think. I think it's the most streamlined version since your second edition, which I always felt really helped. You know, I thought second edition, you, re- you really helped me kind of brainwash a few other players to play because it, it all seems so simple maybe not the right word, but clear if you know what i mean um, i always felt second edition did that and i think 5e's done a similar thing to that it's they're they're almost there's a bit of a linkage there i think so um got a question oh he's got another question what aspects of the game from your era of D&D, which is a long era would be most rewarding to bring back is there something that you used to really like like a mechanic that they no longer do is there is there, is there anything you can think of oh wow
1: uh <laughs> I mean, it's it's really interesting because at at when I I most often run games at con, when I'm at conventions and, yeah. uh, the uh, the mechanic that I like to do is I use basic and expert. Yeah. Uh,
0: okay. Rules yeah. 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 They're because cool. yeah.
1: they're just so simple um, for me for me it's all about uh, you know the the I think the thing I'd like to see most brought back is is more the attitude of make it up, you know? Oh, yeah. oh, wait, what's, what don't, don't necessarily, you know, don't worry if there's not a rule for it. Don't ever, don't yeah. ever say, no, you can't do that. You can say, sure, you can do that and, and chuckle evilly, but <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Cause, um, those basic and expert, that's how I got into the game man, and they were very clear. You actually forget about how how good that stuff was back in the day so that that's what you run at conventions the basic and expert um, is that the one that had uh excuse me it was like a red box with like a Larry elmore dragon on it is that- um
1: it was uh the red box and and uh the and the and the blue expert box i think they were I think the red box i think is a is an easily painting if I remember right right yeah he yeah, he got to do lots of the yeah. You know, that's cool. Kind
0: of yeah, no, that's cool. And that's so interesting that that's what you run. So when you go to conventions now, um, we were talking at Greenwood yesterday, and I know he go, he was going to Gary Con, and there was like Jen uh, Con. He was mentioning, do you go to these conventions yourself now, or are you, you know? Oh yeah, I'm going. I'll be, I'll be
1: at Gary Con. Oh sweet. And, uh... So you,
0: you go to all. Well, this must be great. It must be like old home week when you guys will show up. You know, oh, that's one of
1: the reasons to go, is I get to see lots of people i worked with for 15
0: years. That's good, <laughs> yeah, man. And you can relax, and you can kind of, like, and I'm sure, you, you know, the Oh, fans. there's no relaxing. <laughs> what is it? Is it just non-stop? Is it, like, non-stop, like what? Like- well,
1: um, I'm usually... I'll be running, I think, four different games over Jesus. the
0: course of the weekend.
1: <laughs> and and the thing is, is that uh, convention games are not like, you know, just gathering with your friends and running games. Yeah, uh, They can be... It, I mean, I I get really before I even go to the convention. I get all stressed and and anxiety yeah. about like, oh my God, am I not I'm not ready? Yeah. This is this is going to be terrible. People are not going to have a good time, and my wife, who's you know. <laughs> seen me go through this like yeah. you know, god knows how many times Keeps telling me don't worry it'll be okay <laughs> yeah and then at the end of it it was like, was like oh that went really well
0: <laughs> <laughs> so do you basically and, and forgive me because i'm in sydney i've never been to one of these things so is it like a um you run like a module is that what it would be like a little adventure for them
1: uh usually do a four hour game um cool. a lot of them are uh just kind of uh i i do one that is literally an improvised game that I've got kind of the skate framework of of what the plot line will be but it's kind of driven by uh questions I ask the players about like you know about their characters like you know yeah you know what am I what am I you know want what do I want to be most re, you know remembered for or what do I not want written on my tombstone kind sure. of a thing
0: yeah okay and <laughs> okay. that's good it gets into their characters and then you can influence the the game you're running—that's cool. Um, and is that all D and D, or do you do different games as well?
1: Um, I usually do mostly just D and uh, D. Yeah. Uh, but I also been, you know, every once, so I'm going to be doing actually an Indiana Jones game. Oh, hi, hell, and,
0: yeah. Uh, hell yeah, hell yeah! You looking forward to the new movie? You looking forward to the new movie? doing another one. Um,
1: I I. I'm I'm mystified as to how it's going to work, but I'm interested.
0: Yes, me too, man. <laughs> Dial of Destiny. I think there's going to be a fair bit of time travel and probably some de aging going on.
1: Yeah, they're gonna yeah they're gonna be wheeling them around. You yeah,
0: poor old Harrison. Um, yeah. So that look, that's fascinating. And and what a so give, give us a, a if you had to, if you do say three or four conventions in a year, what ones? A Gary Con? What is it? A Gen Con? Or what? What do you do?
1: I don't I don't uh Gary Con North Texas RPG Con um Game Hall Con in Madison. Right. Uh those are usually the three that I go to. Yeah. Um uh, in part because I I've, I've been to them enough now I feel pretty fairly comfortable. They're very well run Con. Sure,
0: sure. Uh
1: run by good people. Yep. Um so you know it's all it's nice. Gen Con is just it's too huge and too difficult to deal with trying to get yeah. um Yeah. You know. All the accommodations and all this sort of stuff that, it's, yeah, it's just never never quite worked out.
0: Yeah, it's from, I mean, I'd like to go just for the novelty, but, but there'd be no pressure on me. No one's pressuring me to run games and do all this other shit. Like, I'd just be wandering around just checking it all out. Um, now, I wanted to mention uh, something, <laughs> The Horde. Man, this was everything to me when I was uh, back in school and I saw the first book. And the way the horde campaign was described, which was basically like, I think I'm correct in saying it was kind of riffing off the Mongols invading like the Western kingdoms and the Eastern kingdoms, and I mean this was this captured my imagination. I know you were the guy behind it, uh, and you wrote the first book. Can you take us through this horde campaign and how successful was it? Because to me, it was everything. I don't know if to, to the rest of the world it was, but what do you remember about the horde campaign?
1: Uh, well, yeah, it, it, the, the, the kind of riffing off the Mongols is, is an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, was, it was, yeah, very, very heavily. And, and part of it is uh, convinced people that we needed to do it because once we were going to join uh, Karatur and, uh, and.
0: Farun, yeah.
1: Farun, yeah. yeah, together, we still had this line like, what's, well, what's all the stuff in between them? Right.
0: Yes. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, we had to come up with something there and that was the, well, we, let's, let's do this. uh, Let's do the horde. And um, it was, you know, me again, kind of like uh, taking the approach of, well, let's take a, you know, let's take a real world kind of culture and stuff. And, and, uh, you know. Expose people to it and do a lot more crazy research and, and invade, you know, and sort of invade thing. everywhere
0: like the Mongols did. They they had no boundaries; they just kept going. These guys,
1: <laughs> yeah. um, and they they wanted to do the uh, uh, the book line, yeah, uh, to kind of like showcase each part of of, uh, of the world. So there was the Horde section. Then there was a second book that was done by Troy. Denning that was uh, based in Caratura, yes, and then the third book away from the kind of basic Western fantasy, really. The 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 more the the more the sales go down. We we did uh, wow. Mastika, we did a, basically a new a New World box set, all yeah. that sort of stuff, and you know they were all very you know they're all very interesting and they've got lots of cool stuff. Yeah, but you know for vast numbers of players they're not. You know, the standard kind of
0: European fantasy
1: setting. Sure. And so they're they're novelty settings.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, as a as a as a young guy though, I I I really gravitated towards this stuff you were doing in in Carator and the Horde. It just it captured my imagination, which is probably colouring my perception. But um, oh, but I mean, well. Like what a what a time to be alive! Um, it must have been cool though when you're pumping out these campaigns and and I mean I don't mean to get into personal business, but it's a long time ago. Was it like obviously you're a staff member? Were they like okay, we need a hoard setting? You got thirty k, forty k. Was it like that, or was it just factored into your salary? Like how was there a whole royalty scheme? No, oh, no, we total? were we
1: were salary. We 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 basically, you know, we right. worked eight hour days and. Um, that was just your job. A you know, year kind of and thing. a half or yeah. so before we would sit down, you know, every year we would sit down and figure out like, well, here's here's my ideas I want to pitch that will be done like in the next year and a half or so. Yeah. Um, and they would they would look at it, you know, basically like, okay, we got to have X number of modules out. We need to do this. We need to do these kinds of things. And there would be a lot of like, you know, arguing, analyzing, horse trading, this sure. sort of stuff to... Yeah. To who's got who's got the idea that they that um, fits in with what the com- company's plans are, this yeah. sort of stuff, and uh, who's got the time, and then who has the time to do it. Sometimes you'd come up with an idea, and they go, "Oh yeah, that's great," and yeah, we're going to have Jeff do it.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So sometimes you're pitching something, but then you don't get to follow through on it um, because someone else is doing it. So do, do, when you and, I mean, I know nothing about the business side, so, you know, I'm an idiot, just just humor me. Um, when the Horde goes out, or the first book, I think it was called Horse Lords, because I've just read it um, yeah. again, yeah. Um, w- was there royalties for this kind of stuff? Like, do you collect royalties from the so, books?
1: So, it was. it was... Books were different, because mm. they were not... The book department was separate from the game design department. Right. So you would you would negotiate with them, you would pitch you would pitch books ideas to them and negotiate with them kind of separately. And that was again kind of like, okay, you gotta do that you know at home. You know. Oh you right. Out, you, oh, get, you
0: gotta do that in your own time kind of thing.
1: You gotta do that on your own time, right? And for that then you got um you got kind of royalties because uh these were um Shared, since this is all shared world stuff, it was, uh, it's yeah. basically work done to spec. And, uh, so technic so TSR held all the copyrights. Yeah. They were not creator, they were not creator, uh, controlled. No. Um, and, uh, but basically, uh, paid out a, uh, something, something that more or less followed kind of a royalty kind of a, okay. a schedule based on the numbers sold, um, but yeah, you know, if the, if the book went out of print, it was their book. You didn't get it; didn't revert to it. Uh, right. So these you days, like you're not that.
0: still picking up royalties from like the audible sales on this stuff or anything like that. Or? Um,
1: I well, those. I think I get twelve dollars every now and then. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's great. I can buy a cup of coffee. <laughs> I'm glad I wrote horse lords. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's that's so interesting. Um, now. I had a question here from Kevin G. Way. Now, <coughs> you, you, forgive me, I'm not sure what the question is. I'd like to know actually what the Oracle of fa zuk hum was. Um, they left it vague enough to be a person, place or artifact, but never explicitly stated its true nature. And he's got an interpretation that's from something from Lovecraft. Do you remember this Oracle of fa Does hum Is it ring any bells for you at all?
1: There's there's dead silence in my <laughs> head
0: here. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's gonna remain a mystery for Kevin. <laughs> I'm like I, I think
1: I think that uh what did you say it was his name was Kevin who put the question in? Kevin, yeah. Um he is, he is more than welcome to work out whatever answer works for
0: his game. <laughs> yeah, that's it, but yeah, it's uh yeah, I, I I'm hopeless. I've got no idea what he's even talking about. Um, Now, I just wanted to mention this and and still on the horde. Um, When I was in school, I remember I saw a picture and it was Mongols fighting um, Crusader Knights. I want to say it was in Poland, at least my memory. And you know when a picture can fire an imagination? I was like this, it was like the Crusader Knights of the time, which we all know, like the the Templars and all those kind of guys, versus Mongols. And I was just like, this really happened in real life? And and I never realized that, because have you noticed that the Mongols invading, like, Poland and Russia, isn't never that covered as much as the normal crusader stuff, like, you know, in the Jerusalem and stuff like that?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the... One of the great things is, again, it's one of the reasons why I like to go to history for stuff, because when you start looking at stuff, history is weirder than people n- realize.
0: <laughs> yes, and we, we, we focus in on some things with a laser focus, and other stuff, I think it leaves it open for writers and, and and, you know, creators to work with, because it's almost like not as well known in, you know, we know the Crusades, the ins and outs of the actual Crusades pretty well, you know, like... King yeah. Richard and this and that, but I, I don't know. Just the idea of these Crusader knights fighting Mongols, and the Mongols beat them as well in this massive battle in Poland. And I was like, "Wow, hey, these Mongols—they weren't messing around," you know.
1: Yeah, if I if I would tried really hard, I would have had Polish-winged hussars and stuff, you know.
0: That would have been great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now I I remember when I was we're almost finished with my Horde uh, stuff, but when I was going leafing, I leafed back through the um, Horde campaign setting before this interview. And the lead guy, the Genghis Khan guy—I forget what his real name was in the in the things—but the lead Khan, he was. I checked his stats because I like to go to the stats. A level seventeen fighter, so yeah, high level. Lawful evil, over a hundred hit points. Now, I have a de- like This is more of a D and D question. The debate about alignments, because the older I get, the less necessary I personally think they are, Be- but. What do you think? And what made him lawful evil? Because was he evil? He just wanted to conquer, like Genghis Khan. Is that evil?
1: Well, it's, you know, all... (laughs) Now you're getting to the argument about relativism and and morals. Um, But, uh, yeah, we had to give him an alignment because the system existed. And so, you know, therefore... And and lawful evil makes the most sense because, you you know, the Horde... One of the points of of it was that these guys are actually really, really organized. They are, you know, they're not just a bunch of, you know, raving barbarians. They yeah. had this whole structure that made all of this possible. And so, you know, they, and uh, the evil part becomes is, you know, one could argue that, you know, you know like, you know, modern day Mongols aren't necessarily evil. It's just the, the who wins the battles gets to kind of write the history or whatever. Um, but uh, that, it's there, I think it's a little bit more of the the uh, the the ends justify the means
0: kind of an approach. No, I get that, it you know? I get it, yeah, I yeah. get it, man yeah. it's interesting, like that that uh, no, I totally understand why he's lawful evil. I'm only kidding, I get it, but uh, I'm also like there is that point where if you wanted to get real about it, like a lot of leaders would technically probably be lawful evil. Because it's always about advancing their own cause and, you know, at the end – like the, the ends always justify the means it feels like for most sort of like of the the big, 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 you know, world leaders and stuff like that. Like it's interesting. They might say – Oh, like yeah, I mean thing,
1: they're yeah. – they're, they're, we have plenty of examples in history of, you know, leaders who were actually – yeah, that guy was evil. And there's really not much to argue oh, about. Oh, yeah, no, yeah,
0: and you've, no, you've got some <laughs> – you've got – obviously you've got some where it's like evil, like Hitler, evil. There's no – but other times it's it's more subtle. You know what I mean, and you're like, yeah, okay, I get it. But a question I had, and this is kind, of, this is the last question that I'll subject you to about the horde. But um, in I want to say Shalung, which was like obviously you riffing off China. Um, when they break through the dragon wall and you know cause a lot of havoc, they eventually get turned around. Now, my question to you was, um did you or anyone at TSR argue that they should have actually been more successful there? Because obviously the Mongols did, I believe conquer China or at least a large chunk of it. Or was it always, you have to have the pieces back in the box at the end of the game? That was my question.
1: Uh, part of it was, yeah, you need the PCs back in the box at the end. Basically um, we could, we could go do disastrous things on, and uh, on a temporary basis or on the borders, mm. but um and especially and this is especially true for Farron, you know, when the Mongols go charging over into Far when the horde yeah. goes charging into Farron over there, that eventually they get beaten, they go away, right? Um because you don't really you don't really want to kind of say, Oh, by the way, you know, the the box set that we're selling about, you know, for you know, Waterdeep and all that stuff, yeah, it's actually invalid now. <laughs> Yeah, no, but that's probably could, not a that's not a great marketing approach.
0: No, I, I I I get you, but I I just wonder if to sell them a bit to have one city that would stay there as in like a fort or something. You know what I mean? Like it's sort of like a sell to the western players that would have oh, all, yeah. here are these eastern guys and they and they have at least conquered just a territory, you know? Yeah. Um, and
1: that's what leads uh, to like you know second, third, fourth, and fifth editions of things.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting. Um, I've actually uh, this is where. And thank you for indulging me with the horde. Um, do you remember? I was going through the horde um, thing, and I, there was a city mentioned called Solon, the city ruled by a leech, uh, or a leech. How you pronounce that name? And yeah, um, that, uh, that's that's a uh, book in itself. Do you, does that ring any bells for you? Were you? A it creator? sounds like
1: something I'd come up with. Yeah, yeah
0: that's. <laughs> That's nasty, isn't it? Like a city ruled by one of those guys. And there's a few yeah, of them. And, and
1: yeah. This is just one of those things that kind of gets thrown in there. It's like, hey, this is a really cool idea. And, yeah. uh, and you don't have to explain it much because it sounds really awful. Um, but it would have been fun to go back and like actually you know, work that out completely because
0: yeah, it would, it would have been bad and what's cool is though what i like as well if you're a dm and you're doing that you can easily take your characters to this city and create your own adventure just a city ruled by a leech like it it it's 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 a throwaway line but it offers up a whole world you know what i mean like it, it offers it offers a lot just in a little little snippet now i wanted to i mention second edition because second edition when this came out was the exact point where I started to have the influence on my friends to get them to play D&D. So I was brainwashing them. And the second edition books came out at the exact right time. The, for, I, the format, I still remember the format of those books felt so clear and so well produced. You know, it was a real step up kind of thing in my opinion. Now, you were the lead guy on this, weren't you? Was it, was it kind of your baby? Oh, I, I I would love to claim that, but um, I mean, I was the lead guy.
1: I did all the all the writing and you know a lot of the a lot of and and led the design work. But uh, this was the company's baby in the long sure, run. of course
0: TSI, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and so everything I did had to kind of get reviewed, approved, sometimes debated. Uh, there were things that we wanted to do, um, mm. and it it was. It was me. It was Steve Winter who was the uh, editor on it, um, yep. and and then John Pickens who was kind of our principal for uh, just doing a lot of uh, double checking, fact checking, and also handling all the play test coordination and doing a lot of those things like that. And and so making and the three of us then kind of making sure that you know does this does this kind of meet the the requirements. And then Jim Ward is a, was. Running the department at the time, and right. he was he was naturally trying to make sure that we didn't go off the rails and that sure. sort of
0: stuff. So, take were this through things... sort of play testing. Like when you say play testing, so you create rules, you give these new rules to a set of players, and then you kind of watch it play out and see if it wasn't broken. Is that basically what it entails?
1: Um, well, in this case, because this one this was actually like a year and a half project to do. Right. So this was we actually had time. John had. Uh, basically coordinated with a lot of, uh, uh, outside groups, uh, all across the country, um, to, to, uh, basically run play test sessions with their own, with their own, um, you know, with their own players and stuff. Yeah. And we would, we would send them off, uh, you know, drops of material, like, oh, here, here are the revised character, here's the revised character classes or something like that. As it became available, he would create questionnaires for them, make sure they got the material, you know, badger them until they made, until their contact people sent back, you know, responses, and then he would compile all of that data and all that sort of stuff and give us kind of the, the, okay, this is, you know, did this work? What was the reaction? What were were there, what were there, were there any good suggestions out of it? Yeah. Um, you know, this sort of thing. Um, so a lot of it was, uh, it was, it was a, you know, there were probably a hundred different groups, I think, if wow. I remember right. That,
0: and that's a lot of feedback to get as well, like to compile yeah, and that, collate. That's and everything, why he was right?
1: doing it kind of full time.
0: Yeah. yeah. yeah it, super interesting. Like one thing I do recall, I mean, it, dude, it's been 30 something years, oh, God knows how long. But what I remember was just how nice the books looked when they got printed. I really felt like I was playing a very cleaned up, you know, game. That's how it felt and it was very easy. That would
1: easy. make Steve very happy.
0: Well, you know, he should be happy because it was very easy for me to, to get people to play when those books came out because before that, I mean, it was those old books were awesome, but, like, like you felt like you are opening up an, a musty tomb, you know what I mean? Like, there was a lot of rules um, in the old stuff that was tucked away. Now, I, I've got a... It's a joke question, Zeb, um, so don't take offence. Uh, why did assassins have to go? Because, unfortunately, I had an assassin who had to go... Um, that was a character. Now I know they came back at some point in D D because I again played an assassin twenty years later. But what made assassins have to go in the second edition was that an obvious uh, that that was
1: me. Yeah. Um, I I have strong opinions about the assassin class as it was done. Sure. Uh, two, which came boils down to two things. One is that of all of the classes. Out there, they were, you know, even more so than the thief. They were often the stick of dynamite that destroyed uh, player harmony, player groups.
0: Right. Yeah. You
1: know, the kid, the, the you know, the, the guy who had the assassin could be a young kid, could be an old person, could <laughs> be anyone. Sooner or later, was going to go like get pissed about something. Yeah, and was going to then go assassinate one of the other party members.
0: Ah, and, yeah, right, yeah,
1: yeah. And at that point, you know, all hell breaks loose in the yeah. group. It and breaks. That breaks the
0: game. That always breaks the game. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So but, there was yeah. that problem. Okay, so that's one problem. Yeah.
1: The other problem is is that the mechanics for the assassin just, you know, look. I've got you know, we're so badly explained and or or. Something you know you get you had a chart that had percentage chances yes versus level and so yes. players would just look at that and go like oh look I'll go up to this guy and I'll assassinate him let me roll my percentile dice yep and and it's like wait a minute <laughs> yeah. you don't that's not what an assassination is
0: <laughs> yeah there was it was a very sort of it look I played it but I played it a long long time ago but I remember that percentage chance and yeah you were like well I'm just going to try and kill him I'm going to roll. You know, forget about hit points. It's on. You know. (laughs) Yeah, it was. It was
1: just a die roll for instant instant kill.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah.
1: And really, yeah, I think one of the in an article that we did on it when I did the article that kind of explained some of the changes we were looking at, and uh, the explaining why why the assassin would be removed is is being an assassin for my for me is more a mindset and also yes. a role-playing adventure. It is the, oh, you know, I'm a mage. If I were a mage, how would I assassinate somebody? And then you go off and you plot and you scheme, yep. and then you go do it, Yeah, right? Um, and, you know, so anybody can, can be an assassin if they really wanted to. Yeah. Um, some people, it's a little bit easier than others. But basically it's all about uh, assassination is all about the story and all the, every, you know, look at every good movie that involves assassins. It's all about the sneaking around, the plotting. The sc- yeah. Yeah. you sneaking around in shadows. shadows you and know. then, you know, then either it all works or it all goes to hell or, and then you have to like, you know, scramble and all this sort of stuff. But that, and that's, that's really like more on the, on the DM to say, okay, Let's set you guys up where you're going to assassinate somebody and then you can have this whole, you know, you're going to have a, we're going to have a couple of good sessions where you guys try try to work it out and, you know, not get killed in the process.
0: That makes so much more sense when you explain it like that because that's so much more interesting than just rolling a percentile dice, you know? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Mm No, I, I, I totally, I, I was kidding when I asked the question, but you've answered it really well. I remember there's a story um, Bob Salvatore with his um, famous characters, and he obviously had a famous assassin, uh, Artemis Entree, I think his name was, and he um, had to he, he he had a reasoning very similar to what you said, where he's like, oh well, I don't have to lose the character. He's or he's a fighter or whatever he is, but he just you know works to assassinate people or something like that. Like he kind of gave that answer because I think the assassins they actually like kind of puffed them out of existence at the time in TSR and stuff like that. Like, you know, actual characters that were in the world and everything. Like, it was kind of bizarre. Like, that's a question I had, actually, Zeb. Um, like, obviously, you, you worked for a long time for TSR, and you saw multiple rule changes. And uh, what's it like when you've got to adapt sort of the rules on the fly you know, when you're going through these, like X, did it feel like every three years we've got to reboot the editions? Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Was that how it felt for you? Um, well, not at the time
1: because we, you know, we hadn't really gotten it. It hadn't really gotten into the cycle of doing lots of edition changes. Yeah, I mean, we had, um, we had the basic and expert, but that was always like we want to separate this out and make it something. It is meant to be kind of a distinctly lower complexity game from AD&D yeah. and and you know we we at the time never understood why didn't you just make basic an expert a lead in to AD&D but you know there were all the legal issues and that sort of stuff right um and then first edition just kind of evolved into second edition back when we started working on second edition one of the goals wasn't to like oh we're going to change everything we we um uh, actually tried, we had to actually restricted a bunch of the changes we're going to make because it was going to make the game too different in some way in just mechanics. Um, and, uh, so our, uh, salespeople didn't want us to do that because they said, they pointed out, you know, we, we, we sell, still sell a lot of first edition product. Yeah. And so this needs to be, you know, have, be, have, be compatible um, kind of a thing
0: because they had those hardbacks like back in the eighties. There was a lot oh, of, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they the were, They, were, they but... were nice those books. Like I, I picked up a lot of those books, and then, but it must have been like you know you, when you launched it. Were, were you? Was it ten? Was it like an opening weekend for a for a for a movie? Were you just fingers crossed? Jesus Christ! I hope the players don't reject this second edition. You know,
1: um, a little bit, but I. But we had we had done a lot of play testing, and right. we had also. We had gone out to conventions and met and talked with people. And really one of the big points we'd always make is a lot of what we were doing in second edition was just basically kind of codifying a lot of the house rules that people already did. There were a lot of things that people like kind of like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, you're doing that. Yeah, we do something like that or, oh, or be, oh, thank goodness. Now you've clarified that so that, you know, we don't have to argue endlessly about it, that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, cuz that's um, true actually D&D that's that's right actually like it, people in in that span between from the 70s to the late 80s god there would have been a lot of people running their own versions you know Oh yeah
1: there was a, there were a lot of house
0: rules on stuff and, wow. you know a lot of them were good
1: house rules and so
0: Yeah and you we, could kind of take some of that stuff No uh that's interesting now this might seem ridiculous now but as a kid in the mid '80s, the name Gary Gygax—it was kind of mythic to me. He was kind of like the Stanley of D&D. What was he like? And what was your relationship with Gary like? Like you worked there a long time. Well, let's see. My um,
1: I, really, I will start out by saying Gary hired me. Yes. Yeah. Well, so, that's good. He gave you a start. So, <laughs> so you know that was that kind of colors my perception right there. Sure. <laughs>
0: of course.
1: Um, Gary was Gary was uh, he was. He was creative. He was, um, you know, he was interesting. He was a charismatic, really engaging guy, um, and you know, really he re- and who really uh, liked games and liked people.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and at the same time, he was not the He was not always the most savviest businessman. He was. He was a gamer who yeah. basically got very. You know, got. Stumbled on kind of the magic formula yeah um, and uh did very you know did very well by it, but at the same time he was not a a a kind of corporate business he you know, didn't have any didn't have any actual um, you know professional business training or anything or sure. stuff like that in fact none of our our senior management at the time did, and so you know they kind of sh- blundered through things sometimes they made you know like wow that was probably a bad that was a bad idea yeah. other times you know it's like wow, well, you know we're we're doing well and just you know, as long as we don't mess it up we'll do great Yeah.
0: You know? sure um, sure yeah and and were you sad obviously well, we don't need to go into the inner depths because i don't mm-hmm. know them but when he got he kind of got ousted in the mid 80s were you sad to see him go like um or did you have a different view and felt like he he kind of played his best game and he was, he was, dead. um,
1: well, it was a yes or no question, kind of yes and no answer. I mean, mm-hmm. basically, as a uh, sad to see him go, yes, because he, like I said, he was really charismatic, he was a good, he was, you know, you know, and and this sort of stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, at the same time, as designers, he yeah, we, we had a lot of designers, we all wanted to do stuff, and one of the one of the issues that had arisen is that Gary was very, very kind of tried to keep very tight control, especially on its places like this is kind of like why Greyhawk never got the, the amount of attention that we ultimately did with um, Forgotten Realms. Yeah. Is that uh, nothing could be done or set or in Greyhawk without, you know, like his, his explicit, approval and review and all this sort of stuff but he was a really busy guy and he didn't have time to review and approve all these things and so you know we wound up creating all these modules that we just kind of they just kind of existed in generic nowhere yeah um and that was actually one of the uh, uh impetuses for jeff to kind of pitch the whole forgotten realms idea is that we need a place to to actually set all of these stories,
0: I totally agree, these, I think it was brilliant, you know, like um, yeah, but that and, ties into Gary kind of wanting to keep complete control of his Greyhawk setting
1: yeah and and you know i I, I, I understand the sentiment, sure, <laughs> um, but it was it was very difficult at the pace and the volume of material that we had that we had to do, um, and then they you know, there were always you know you know every designer wanted always had these kind of crazy pet project ideas they wanted to do sure. um some of them were good some of them maybe weren't but again if they you know if Gary said oh we're going to do uh you know I'm going to do we're we're going to do five big things and and you know I've got people to do four of them then you know the designers on staff are going like oh well,
0: uh we're all gonna fight for the last one I guess so. I see yeah like so yeah it's you know weird yeah I, I get what you're saying there like I, I guess it's it's odd because it's sort of understandable I mean he created this game you know like you know how you know and then it, it becomes so big but you've got all these staff and they've got all these ideas and it's like delegation and all that kind of stuff becomes important like it's important as a leader to delegate some of your duties like if you've you, got, you you know.
1: Yeah, he had a big, he had, by that point, there was a, kind of a big company to run. And, yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. Um, after it all went down and obviously he left, did you stay in touch with him, like as the years went by, or did you see him at conventions, that kind of stuff?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. I, I, um, we, we were, we were, um, because I was kind of all through much of it, I was, you know, employee and he was employer. It sure. was never like a, like, oh, yeah, we're going to go you know we didn't hang out together really all that sure. much even even when he was at the company
0: right um he wasn't that kind of a boss that you know the kind of a boss like let's have a beer that kind of thing
1: I think I played in one of his game once I got invited over to play in his game once okay. so it was very much
0: <laughs> of a boss employee relationship yeah, yeah. that's cool yeah. Yeah, but just at the same time
1: you know when he went off to to start uh oh, whatever it was new infinities or I think it was something like that yeah uh, you know he he, he uh called me up and wanted to, wanted to hire me. Uh, so I took that as like, oh, well, at least, you know,
0: he, he, he valued and,
1: you. Uh, yeah, but at the time I just, you know, I couldn't make that commitment.
0: Yeah. But he, yeah, he valued you enough to make the offer kind of thing. You know, he's, he's yeah. thought highly, yeah, well, I, I mean, I understand why I look at your body, your work. It's no surprise. Um, and what was it like? Um, I know the name Lorraine Williams and she was running it in, Sort of like a, a, in my mind, a pretty successful period for at least a large chunk of it. Was that a different relationship? Um, you know, yeah, with it a was a very, big... it
1: was a very different relationship. She yeah. was much more focused on the business side of stuff. Yeah. Um, and she wasn't a gamer. No. Um, and uh, at times didn't, you know, not only you know, not only didn't fully kind of understand, but you know, just kind of viewed gamers as like, well, whatever, right? Just
0: geeks, basically. You know.
1: And, but at the same time, uh, she also, she had always been very good to me. Yeah. Uh, so um, she, and, you know, for a lot of people who say bad things or, you know, have these bad opinions of Lorraine, huh. she always tried to do, um, one of the things she always, tried, she always tried to make sure that we all got paid. That's good. And even when things got really bad. Yeah. Um, and that didn't, you know, didn't always, you know, and so there were you know there were you know she had she 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 had things that drove you crazy but at the same time you know she was doing what her best for what i think she she saw as needed to be done and if she's we, business she's worried about cash flow and stuff product. You
0: know? i'm just thinking um, she's worried about cash flow and that kind of stuff as well like you don't necessarily need to know a lot about games if you're at the very tippy top you know, you could delegate a lot of that stuff, I would have thought, to people who know what the games are doing. But your responsibility is to get the cash flow going, get the people paid, get the strategies going. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like,
1: there's... Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, it,
1: it, it helps to know what what they're doing.
0: Sure, but- <laughs> yes. <laughs> true, that is true. But you got paid, though. We spent a lot yeah. of
1: time making Buck Rogers things that... Uh, Were like, they popular? They
0: all- wished we didn't have to do <laughs> <laughs> like when you say buck rogers i mean i'm not i mean I, I know there was a buck rogers tv show in the late 80s or early 80s but i can't imagine that was a big seller like into the 90s was it buck rogers doesn't seem to me like it would be a big thing no <laughs> yeah no, yeah no, but, but it was like a pet project of hers was it like push buck push well buck her, rogers? her
1: family owned buck rogers
0: oh really Really, yeah. they own the rights to. Bu- so, hence, okay. So, like Buck Rogers, and what was? I mean, I know there's a Buck Rogers TV show. I assume it was like a pulp character back in the early days, was it, or something like that? Is it, Am I right? Yeah, it
1: was a. You know, it started out as a pulp uh, comic strip from you know science fiction comic strip in the 30s and all this sort wow, of stuff. Right, yeah. And but yeah, they 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 were the publisher. You know they were the publisher of it a long time ago and owned they owned the rights to Buck Rogers, so we okay. wound up doing Buck Rogers stuff, even though all of us in the company were, were like there's there's no market for it, nobody yeah. really wanted
0: Buck Rogers. The Buck Rogers wasn't exactly a hot item, you know <laughs> yeah and it, and
1: it was you know we tried we tried our best in many ways, But sure. it was uh, it was tough yeah.
0: It can be an uphill battle with some of those um, characters that were popular back in the 30s and 40s. Not all of them translate perfectly. And sometimes the timing's just not right, you know? Um, Yeah. yeah. It's like uh, Lone Ranger. I I love the Lone Ranger, but when they did that Lone Ranger movie, just no one went and saw it, you know? It was just (laughs) not a good movie. I mean, Princess... Princess, What do you call him? John Carter of Mars? good character uh, that makes me sad yeah good good so do i but that, that movie just bombed um and i don't think they market it correctly either you know and it was a shame because it was like it, it had some what well, that's what i'm trying to say despite the quality of what you might be putting out sometimes the time just isn't right as well like it's just not in the air you know yep and uh that's one of the challenges now um uh i had a question here um so obviously Gary left now. Harper asks, "I have mad respect for Zeb for creating Planescape and give depth the trippy cosmic side of D anD D. What does he think about Tieflings becoming super popular? I assume they're from Planescape.
1: I mean, the Tieflings becoming popular. Tieflings, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm. Well, I'm very pleased by it uh, yeah. because you know it's always nice to see something that you create. Yeah. Like, wow, people really liked that. Uh, it, it's." Um, and, uh, I do think that I'm, uh, my, one of my minor quibbles with fifth edition is that they standardized the tiefling so that they all look alike, you know, right. and, and, and which was kind of not the point of them in some ways is that they were these, they, they were always supposed to be kind of like this, you know. Mixture, kind of a thing that you never, you
0: know. I look, they look. I'm looking at that, pictures. They're demonic. They look demonic. Is that what they are?
1: Oh yeah. Well, they all had some demonic blood in them. Cool. But an, but a, each one would be, you know, you as a player could kind of define. Yes. You know how that manifested. You know how did that physically, you know, mark you. Um, and now they all have horns you know every
0: picture i'm looking <laughs> at here of tieflings which i must admit i've never really known existed they've all got horns every single one yeah. of them's got a horn but you're saying that some in your imagination and how you pitched originally that the the manifestation could be different yeah
1: yeah the manifestation you know, the manifestation could vary uh you know it might, might have horns you might just you know you might have you know, skin that's kind of like powdery ash or whatever. Cool. I don't know, whatever you wanted to make up that made made sense for you to help incur. You know, to help you. You know, give your you know give your role playing some flair, as it were. Oh. But you know, horns were yeah. definitely visually, uh, you know, made good pictures.
0: <laughs> uh, is there? Uh, you're obviously familiar with. There's going to be a new D and D movie coming out at the end of March. Um, oh yeah yeah do you know much about it like there, is there a tiefling in that because it, it it's a good I visual am yeah
1: trying not to pay too much attention to all the internet stuff about it because sure. a um a lot of it was just ranting <laughs> oh
0: right yeah yeah i'm not yeah sure
1: and um And so... I'm looking forward to it.
0: I'm looking forward to it, man. I
1: mean, I'll go see it. I mean, I'd still remember the previous D&D movie that everybody thought was going to be, oh my God, and I was like, oh my
0: God. (sighs) Yeah, I remember that too, Zeb. unfortunately. (laughs) Where they had the party with like three thieves, and I was like, why have we got so many thieves in one party?
1: (laughs) And uh, so, willing to see how this goes, but boy, it's it's a tough thing to turn into a movie, apparently.
0: Yeah, and and yet, I I look I I understand from the from the cheap seats you know it might sound this might sound a bit stupid but I don't actually see D and D an adventure being that hard to turn into a movie I, I'm surprised they have so many problems with it like I feel like you could take many uh, one of these little modules and 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 turn them into a pretty decent picture you know. Um,
1: it's, 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 it's actually harder than it looks. It's kind of like, you know, you know how you sit down with some guy who wants to tell you the, the great story of what happened in his game the yeah, night, you know, sure. last week. Yeah. And the next thing you know, it's like, I don't, I don't know what's going on or I don't really, you know, or it's, or, or at worst, it's like, get me out of here. Oh yeah. No, dude,
0: it would often be, oh my God, this is a nightmare. Like you, you kind of have to be there. But one thing I do think though, what you guys did a lot of is you, you guys wrote a lot of modules that had a story. I'm just saying you get a you get a you get a screenwriter in there to adapt it from one of those user D and D guy to work with. I just feel you could knock up a script. That's all I'm trying to say, you know? Rather than I, I, I just think sometimes they go too complex. Another question I've got is a lot of D and D adaptation, movie, comics they lean into the comedy heavily, and I sometimes question pull the comedy back a bit. Because it, do you feel the D and adaptations have to be funny? Because that's something that I see a lot of. It's
1: it, well, you see a lot of it. It's it's a lot easier uh, to be funny because then you can uh, you you don't have to. If you're serious, you have to get the you have to get the viewer to. Commit to the idea that oh this all this is matters and this is serious right yeah. and that means they've got they've got to really identify with those characters sure. about about that and but uh, the problem is they are you know a lot of your your average viewer is like oh look this is some fantasy guy in 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 East Slavthingeria whatever the yeah. hell that is yeah. right and so there's this all of this backstory kind of stuff that you have to then kind of get them to actually care about yeah and and while at the same time not bringing your movie to a dead stop you know
0: (laughs) (laughs) so you think and i think in this new one from what little i've seen i think the comedy is going to be there pretty good cast though chris pine michelle rodriguez hugh grant like some big names you know um it's gonna be interesting i think it's gonna be interesting now don redimir um he wanted to Talk about Planescape as well, and I know it's very highly regarded. It had a very highly regarded video game, if I recall correctly. Um, how did it come about, Planescape, and what were the challenges, um, you know, about about Planescape? What what, so, e- what my- era was this, man? What era was this? Nineties. Uh,
1: this would have been yeah, early nineties, about ninety. Okay. 90- Two, I think, ninety, ninety-one or ninety-two, somewhere in there. I'm not quite sure. Pitch it, it to be, me because you know. I don't,
0: I don't know anything about it. I, I, I must I admit, mean, I never. Uh, sorry, uh-huh. I never played it. But what was it like? Was it on different realities or something?
1: Oh yeah. So Planescape was the we were, we were going through this phase where we had to create tent where where they were putting out lots and lots of settings and yes. uh, which ultimately proved not to be the greatest idea. But <laughs> you know, we were we were all for it because we got to. Uh, yeah you know, we got to design them, and that was cool. Um, and so way back in the eighties, Jeff had redone the manual of the planes uh and you know added in a whole bunch of interesting detail and this sort of stuff but it but it was you know it was one of these hardback manuals, yep, and so it didn't didn't it was more of a place to go visit. No, look, that's weird, let's get out of here quick, kind of a thing.
0: yes. Yeah, um, I remember so, that. I remember that manual, the planes, the hardcover. Yeah. So, were you revisiting yeah. that?
1: Um, well, I was. I had. To, I used it as a resource, obviously, because cool. you know, everything had to kind of fall together. Um, but um, th- so about that time, one of the other designers was, had proposed this line of uh, this line that would be basically one he he pitched it as one book about each of the outer planes and there's like 20 some of them or something like that. Right. Um, and, and, and people thought, well, oh, that's kind of interesting, but we'll never sell, you know, nobody's yeah. going to buy the, you know, the book on the plane of law. It's too, it's
0: too obscure, isn't it? Like, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and this sort of stuff. And so, but the, but the idea kind of like we we can do something with the planes came in out. And so from that it was like, well, we need a campaign setting. Yeah. Um, we had done Spelljammer not too long before.
0: I remember and, that. That was pretty cool, yeah. the flying ships and stuff, yeah?
1: Yeah. Spelljammer was cool, but the problem was it didn't, it didn't kind of catch on yeah. as, oh, I have a Spelljammer campaign. Yeah. Um, it was like, oh, we have Spelljammers, and now we can go <laughs> into space, and then we'll do that for a little bit, and then we'll go back home.
0: Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It, it looked cool. It did look cool. Oh, yeah, it was
1: great. I mean, (laughs) um, so the idea was like, well, if we're going to, let's, we can do a campaign setting in, in basically in the realms, but we've got to do it in a way where it is really about all the outer planes and where uh, you're not a visitor just popping in to do something. But, you know, your, your campaign is set in the outer planes kind of a thing. And so that led to the idea of creating uh, sigil, the city, uh, where, and then the unique kind of character races, the tieflings and all the, stuff, so that, you know, you had this, this kind of home base that you operated out of and, you know, it was, you know, weird and everything, but, you know, relatively safe, uh, and that sort of stuff. And then there were all of these like places you could go off and go adventure to, that range from, like, oh, that's kind of interesting, to, oh, my God, I'm in the middle of hell, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, so, like, and forgive me if, I'm, I'm such an idiot, but, like, is it, is it, like, Earth? Or is it, are they walking around in, like, a mist? Or, or what is the story?
1: Oh, no, no. I mean, this is where I got, this is where I started get going mad. Right. Um, it's, it's because I like surrealism, and I like strange things like that. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, the whole setting is the the, the central city Sigil f- is uh, a city in in built on the inside of a kind of a torus, right. so it's kind of like uh, and uh, that sits at the top of an infinite spire. Wow. And I was very deliberate about that because those yeah. two things are completely impossible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good uh, point. Yeah, that is a good but point. But yet it yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah
1: and that basically it is connected to all sorts of places through the outer in the outer planes or wherever you wanted to connect to through basically doorways that if you knew the right key to open it you could just kind of step through a doorway from the city and and then go off to this location very um, very almost
0: sci fi a little bit you know
1: oh it, it was it was very this was very um high fantasy kind yeah. of yeah. Uh, weird fantasy stuff it's cool and it's also full of different factions that yeah. are all trying to try that all would love to be in charge of the city but the city is ruled by a completely mysterious and all powerful a uh, woman, the Lady of Pain, who who uh, wow. controls stuff.
0: Um, and- were there gods? Because it feels like this could there could be gods walking around. Am I am I wrong? Right?
1: Uh, well, there might be gods walking around through the yeah. city. Uh, it's never. Uh, I never claim that the Lady of Pain is a god. I never claimed what what she is at all, except that if you tried to mess with her, you were going to
0: lose. Sure, <laughs> sure. And did that, did it have? Uh, you said tieflings, which I you know I realize now what they are, but. Were normal. If I had a level ten fighter, could he be there? You yes. Know? Right. Yes. You so could, you could you have. Could, feeling, okay.
1: You could start your characters at at beginning levels, and the idea was that you know there are adventures you would be able to do that right. you know would be suitable for you. It's right. not all just go out to the plains and it's all instant death and horror. Right.
0: Um, um, it seems really interesting, man. Like it seems like that's a, quite a it's linked to the normal d d but it's quite a departure in some ways as well like it's it I would have thought that's very high level stuff, but you're saying you can do that from the beginning wow. yeah
1: well the the goal was this was about the time that like vampire the masquerade was very popular oh, yeah, and all this sort that. of stuff yeah, cool. and so you know the part of the goal instruction was let's let's get something that will appeal to the cool kids
0: yeah yeah <laughs> no birth. yeah yeah you know what i I think I might have not been. In the scene at that moment, because that does sound very interesting. I never realized that that's what that was. There was a computer game, right? Like a few years uh, later.
1: Later, yeah, later. A, a computer game. Actually, I worked at Interplay at the time, right. uh, but I didn't work on the Planescape game. Oh, you didn't? Oh, what a
0: what a missed opportunity! Really? Why? Yeah,
1: well, that, <laughs> fortunately, the the the. Chris Avalone and the the other guys I had on the team yeah. were uh, very good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, understood understood a lot of what the kind of the ideas I was trying to get through with Planescape and made a great game. The, so well, great yeah, games. I
0: know it's very highly regarded. Did you ever at any point pitch to them, like you know, little bits and pieces, or you Oh yeah,
1: we're, yeah. We're, I worked in the same same floor, same offices, and so yeah. you know, we would, you know, we drop by and see what they were doing and go, oh, that's really good. And, you know, answer questions if they came up. But they had also, um, in addition to Chris Avalon, Colin McComb, who had worked on Planescape uh, at TSR after I left and had done a a fair amount of Planescape product, was also one of the designers on it. And so, you know, it it was actually – you know, in good hands with people who act, who are familiar with the product.
0: Well, thank God, because so many of these things they get farmed out, and people who just don't know what they're doing or don't know the product are, are having to adapt it. Like someone like me, who it's all new to me. But if you've got people who 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 kind of they they get the world and then they create this great game, that that's a that's a nice legacy legacy to have. Actually, to know that that came out and is so well um, received. Now. Uh, Don also asked from, I guess, Planescape, what was your favorite bit of lore? And he also says, why is it largely ignored in your editions? I must admit, I, I, I've i not heard of it recently. So they, they've sort of moved away from it, wizards, I guess.
1: Well, it never, it, it, like like many of the later campaign settings, and again, the more esoteric and sure. weird you get, the fewer yeah. sales you get. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it suffered from that problem. It was, you know, it, it had great advantages it was visually really interesting we got uh we were lucky to have tony didalizzi uh basically dedicated to doing all the art for the book for the books and
0: he's a uh, fantastic he a fantastic i know that artist he's a fantastic artist
1: yeah yes he is a fantastic yeah artist. he's a great
0: artist yeah wow so he was doing the artwork okay cool
1: yeah this was still early fairly relatively early in his career and yeah. so for him it was a great opportunity and and uh and yeah, and he had he had the the look and style that really went well with kind of what, what was right being written. Stuff I don't know, I just stuff I like about it is I got to be I got to be almost almost as completely weird as I wanted to be. Sure. Um, and uh, and you know make something and you know some of the ideas I did were, were you know, bad and maybe not the most playable ideas, but but, uh, but that it was, was still fun. a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, and you know what? At the end of the day, like to be able, to, like it's a job, you know. But you're having so much fun doing it, and you're seeing a, an artist like him bring it out. That's got to be very rewarding, you know. Even if not millions aren't buying it, you know, enough are buying it, and it's like, man, this is a pretty cool product, you know. I was
1: very happy with it.
0: Yeah. That's excellent. So, um, you know, I I want to switch to. I now I know the '90s come around. Uh, we all know the story TSR at some point they kind of over extended didn't they like all these campaigns and everything there was like a cash flow crunch and like a lot of people lost jobs um and you at 94 you, you saw the writing on the wall and left to go to the video game industry. did you get an offer that was just too good well, to refuse? I,
1: I I wasn't bright enough to see the writing on the wall
0: right <laughs> <laughs> you hung it to the end did you
1: <laughs> but I uh I got a call from a a friend who used to work at, who had previously worked at TSR. He was now working in video games and, uh, he wanted to know if I wanted to come over to video games. And frankly, after 15 years, I was starting to feel like I have pretty much done, done just about all the things I'm going to do, uh, at, you know, the, you know, I, it was getting harder and harder to kind of like find new things, the, to do with it
0: to challenge yourself uh, almost even you know yeah
1: new challenges and this sort of stuff I get bored easily yeah um, and so and plus he offered me more money
0: oh, never hurts <laughs> never hurts man
1: yeah and so uh, so yeah it was an opportunity for us my wife and and so we decided to and my son and we decided to go do this and that moved me over into video games because I, I the writing I could see on the wall is that, uh, role-playing games just weren't growing larger. Yeah. They were, they were what they were. And that was kind of, it kind of seemed like that was what they were going to be. It plateaued.
0: Um, it plateaued. Basically. Whereas
1: video games were, oh my God, there's a,
0: a lot of money in video
1: games and yep. B, there's, you know, a lot of opportunity.
0: Yep. So- and, uh, what I'm interested in is, uh, so you transition to video games. and Now I know before we even get to Elder Scrolls Online, you play, you designed a game, uh, City of Heroes and City of Villains. I believe I, I did play these. I um, didn't. I, I,
1: did, I, I came in towards the end of City of Heroes. That right. Was, that okay. was Okay. But it's City of Villains.
0: City of Not, Villains. You were behind. Yeah, so,
1: yeah. I for City of Villains, I was a lead designer on it when they basically they wanted to do their kind of big standalone expansion, which was Let's do the villain side of basically a superhero um,
0: MMO thing, and uh, where you all got to play villains. And how did that go? Because I remember that coming out. There was it was a lot of hype on it at the time. Was it successful? Like, what were the challenges like compared to role playing? To you, suddenly you're a lead designer on City of Villains. Like, give us give us an insight into your days there. Um, well,
1: the biggest challenge on on, and it's kind of the challenge of any video game, is that on a, when you're uh, lead designer on a on a on a paper game. You pretty much kind of control almost everything. Mm-hmm. You know, you, um, you decide the rules. You figure out how all the stuff's supposed to work. You you know, kind of define the art orders usually, and you know, really work with the uh, to get the look that you want and this sort of stuff if you if you can, right? Yep. Um. And and so a lot of it all comes down, all falls onto you and. Uh, but, you know, that's a lot of work. But it also means, you know, you pretty much know everything inside and out. Yes. And the thing that it took a long time for me to kind of get used to on when I went over to video games was that as a designer, you're only one voice of a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, because yep. there's, you know, there are so many more people involved in the whole production of the thing to start with. And B, there are just things you don't know um, that, you know, you may... There's like, oh, the graphics, you know, the graphics programmer says that's a really great idea, but we cannot do that. Yeah. Um, or, or we have this feature that we need to, that must work in a particular way. Um, uh, and so what you wind up is that where before you were designing, you know, 90% of the game uh, in, in just in words. Uh, now you're kind of like you're still writing pretty much just in words yeah. uh, for most of it. But now you're design. Now you're designing kind of like fifty percent of the game, yep. at most. And other people are then taking that and kind of like translating it into well, what does that actually? You know, how does that actually work? You've got, you know, on, on a big project, you're going to have, you know, level. You're going to have the senior designer. You're going to have level designers, mission designers, quest designers. Yeah. You might have a UI designer um uh you're going to have probably gameplay designers that are working on all the uh, all the all the actual you know number mechanics and that sure. sort of stuff yeah. you may have you know then you've got to deal with animation you've got to deal with all the uh, the animation system and a lot all of moving parts stuff. a lot
0: of moving parts man
1: lots and lots of moving parts that you know you have to you have to <laughs> you got to rely on other people to do those things and that means relying on them to at times when they come back and say, well, no, it doesn't, it's going to work better if I do it this way, or
0: yeah.
1: I had this idea and this is what I want to do. Mm. Um, and that last one is the, you have to, you've got, you've got a lot of people that you want to be, that need to be as committed to trying to make a game as, you know, make it the game as you are. Mm. And you have to step back and you have to let them do it. Yep. You have to, um, but that leads to the next problem is making sure that when you've got 20 people saying that, that they're all making the same game.
0: Yeah, that's it, – it, like, it strikes me it would, it would be a very – I'm sure it's an extremely rewarding job, but also a very challenging one. Like, is it is it something that, like, you're working – what kind of hours are you doing when it comes towards crunch time in games? Are you looking at, like, you know, I don't know, 16-hour days and stuff like that? Is that, is that what's I going have-
1: on? I have done that um yeah. I I will I learned after a while after a while to uh value studios more for how how they handled you know w- work hours and scheduling yeah. in many ways than versus the oh I want to work on that game because it's cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's it, yeah. it's super interesting. So was City of Villains was that a rewarding experience for you because that was I know that when you're working computer games, a lot of computer games never see the light of day that that you work on. I mean, that's just a reality of working oh, yeah. in that industry. Oh, yeah. But City of Villains, I mean that that made a splash. I remember. Like, was it rewarding to have a game that you know got all the way there?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. It was. It was. You know, it was. It was like a. It was a fairly significant title when it came out. Um, uh, they they had they had good success with City of Heroes, and yes. so being um, both you know able to do it and entrusted to to uh, be the lead on that was very good, very satisfying, um, and you know, so yeah, it was.
0: uh well, that's great. Was, I mean, I I, I remember I, really enjoying it, and do you, I have do a great big cape still. The, <laughs> City of Villains, villain you,
1: cape. <laughs> I
0: love it, man. I love it. Like, yeah, I remember visually it was a cool game as well. Like it was, you know, like we. I when was it? It was around two thousand six, seven, somewhere around there, wasn't it? Like it was a while ago. So the graphics, probably, if we look at them now, we'd be like, okay. But like at the time, it was it was a lot of fun, and was World of Warcraft a thing then? Would that have been your biggest competitor that was sucking a lot of the oxygen? Oh, that it? was everybody's biggest. That was the, yeah. They
1: were the giant in that in that yeah. field at the time.
0: And um, you were obviously going into the superhero supervillain um, thing, and it was marketed a lot to comic book stores. That's why I think I knew about it because they marketed it heavily. Uh, towards mm-hmm. comic fans and i think quite successfully i knew quite a few people who were playing it at the time so you know a bit of counter-programming world of warcraft fantasy you're doing more superhero super villains i think it filled a good niche um well before i move on to elder scrolls i know at some point in the 2000s D had an online game were you at, at any stage approached for that or anything like that or were you aware of it
1: Oh yeah, I was aware of it. That was uh that was the guys up in Massachusetts. I can't remember who they are now.
0: I'm like, I might did they try to patch you?
1: Um I at one point I was at one point I did go up and interview with them. Uh but it was well after they it was kind of you know after the game had been out and right. um, this is so because uh, at the time I was, I think I was still work. I was still working on the city of stuff at the time. I think
0: right because D and D online never quite punched through, did it? Like it was there, but I don't think it quite. Obviously, World of Warcraft was was probably killing its player base, right? You know?
1: it, it it didn't, and to be honest, we always looked at it, you know, not knowing what the the reasons are. It's kind of for. It's kind of hard to speculate but we always felt that some of the some of the decisions they made about how to you know how to handle it as an MMO mm. uh just didn't make sense to us cuz we were working, they made it very hard for players to you know party groups and this sort of stuff yeah um and uh, it's like it seemed like well that's not you know that's not what the players would would be
0: looking for yeah, um,
1: that that was our
0: opinion. You know, eh, I don't look, you're in the industry; you're entitled. You know, you you're, you're working in the exact same industry, so I imagine all you guys you kind of keep a little bit of an eye on what's going on across the road, you know. Oh yeah, you've, oh, yeah. you've, <laughs> you've got you've got to because otherwise you get a fall behind. Now, I look Elder Scrolls Online. I am um I'm a bad person. I'm a I'm a very 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 big Skyrim and Oblivion fan and everything. Um, I've always wanted to play Elder Scrolls Online, and I know plenty of people do. Now, how many years has it been running? It's got it. Is it 10 years?
1: Uh, let's see. I worked there for. 12, 13
0: years, 13 years, and, and yeah, are, are you, something are you, like that. Are you still there? Are you still working? No, no, I, I'm, I'm retired. Oh, you've retired. You're fully retired. Oh, my apologies. I am fully I do- retired. Wow, <laughs> so I'm really, I'm, I'm cutting into your, your your, your, retirement time. I'm sorry, Zeb. I didn't realize well, That's that. all right. I got lots of time. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, but you worked there 12, 13 years, so... Look, some of these questions people are going to have. Um, maybe just hazard a best guess. You know, like because I, I, think some of them think you're still there and 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 working on this. So, firstly, I do want to say the Elder Scrolls world is fantastic. Like the actual world that they've built, I, I think if people looked into it, there's a real, uh, like or oh, it's like Tolkien almost. Like there's a real backstory to it, um. You know, it's very D and D like as well. Would you agree with me that there's actually a deep world there in Elder Scrolls?
1: It's there, well, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff there. It was kind of interesting when I first when I first started poking. I mean, when I got hired, I knew Elder Scrolls and I'd played some, mm. but I didn't really, you know, wasn't really deep into it. Sure. Um, but my impression was one. Of, my impression at the time was, yeah, it's this kind of you can go anywhere to do anything kind of fantasy world, but it felt in some ways very kind of generic. Sure. Um. Because all that, all that lore that exists in it is really, really kind of buried deep into the, into the whole, into the it whole is, thing.
0: It is, it is all these books.
1: <laughs> and the, all these bo- all the books and all this stuff. And it's not until you start really plunging into all that stuff that you just discover just how, how intricate and comp and, and, uh, how much how much there is to work with right
0: <laughs> yeah yeah like one thing i'll ask you're right i mean you can play skyrim for example and not really understand the deeper lore because it's in all these books that you can just pick up and never read you know but um can you explain red guards to me because there's a red guard mission in skyrim which whetted my appetite for that culture if I play Elder Scrolls online, can I go to their homeland? And is there storylines in their land, et cetera? Of um,
1: you, can, can, you can go to the Alakir Desert, which is kind of like one of their, you know, their principal areas. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, you can, there's a whole Redguard storyline that plays out in that zone. Sweet. And uh so yeah you can you, you can we try to we try to you know let you get around to as many places as possible
0: um but it,
1: it's a big world it's massive
0: <laughs> yeah no it's it's huge like because elder scrolls online like when you play the normal elder scrolls games like your oblivion your skyrim they base themselves generally in one region yeah like uh skyrim is it called skyrim i mean whatever the continent's called and you roll around in that
1: up with the nords yeah yeah
0: with the nords like but in elder scrolls online do you have the globe itself and you're traveling you can you can pick and choose bits and pieces is that is that basically what's happening
1: it's it's not quite i mean basically it's so big that even when we like originally when they were doing elder scrolls online they wanted to they wanted to try and have as much territory as possible Mm. but it became quickly apparent that you know it's just wasn't physically yeah. Uh, possible to build all of that and get get everything you know done to the quality level in time. And so it became more a matter of kind of like, all right, we need to give, kind of pick and choose representative areas sure. um, and put them together but so but you know you can go you can go to the um, to the uh, uh, let's see daggerfall, you yeah. can go to some of a lot of the iconic places. you can go to daggerfall and and over over to that area, you can go, uh, to Mournhold and uh, the awesome. uh, the Dark Elf territory of the Dark Elves, and play through a whole bunch of stuff there. Uh, there's a little bit with the uh, um, down in the swamps uh, with the Argonians, and then there's a fair amount with the Elves and. Um, the high elves and the wood elves, and
0: the- no, what about the cat people? Because I, I uh, was there's playing, even yeah.
1: yep, there's even a chunk of territory that's for the cat people. <laughs> I, I played a cat, <laughs> for the Khajiit, and, yes. yeah, the
0: Khajiit. I played a cat like thief, and Jesus Christ, I love that character. Um, yeah, no, so that's awesome. Now, um, what was your player base like? Has it peaked? I mean, it's still going as an Elder Scrolls all, and I still see it's still rolling. Like, what what was the peak? Do you reckon in player base numbers? Do you have a guess?
1: Um, I, I, I know at one point they kind of put out an official announcement, um, and, but for what, you know, they're, what they're, you know, it was like over a million, uh, uh, subscriptions or something like that. But that was, and that was a while back. That was quite a while back. Right. um i don't i don't know what the numbers are now and i frankly it's it's not my place to say so sure since, sure yeah i maybe. still got friends working there <laughs> no, no no
0: no totally
1: understood. i think it's but been. it is still it is still very active they are still they are it is you know it is it is uh, it is a world that is continuing to grow they are continuing to add add things and uh
0: I, look, I, I, I'm frankly, in doing research for this interview, I was like, man, I need to be playing this the Scrolls Online because I'm a, look, I am one of the biggest Skyrim fan. I, I, I played that game so much that I'm like, I don't know if they're ever going to put out a sequel. It's like, my God, this sequel's taking some time. I think I might just play some the Scrolls Online, you know, and uh, scratch each that way because it's a great world. Now, um, was it always, when you're doing that, was World of Warcraft always the guy kind of eating your lunch? Were you kind of like number two? Because you're right in the same genre. You're you know you're so close. Well,
1: definitely, definitely. When we started, World of Warcraft was still kind of the dominating power. Yeah. Um, uh, that's that's declined. Yes. Um, I don't know. I don't know what World of Warcraft's numbers are right now. I'm not going to say that they're still not that they're. That, I mean, they're still a force. Yeah. Um, and and so yeah, you have to you know. Aware of what they do, but then other, you know, we have we we picked up a lot of players and yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Well, I, I think there's a lot of goodwill towards the Elder Scrolls because you had all those good games that came out, like uh I forget what the first the first one, but like Morrowind, then Oblivion, then Skyrim. Like, so the, there's a lot. The Elder Scrolls, there's a lot of goodwill towards that name, and then they launched the online. It's like, oh yeah, okay. I, I'm, I'm, in, you know, you had a good lead-in kind of thing. If you think of the, all that other stuff, as it's almost a lead-up to it, you know.
1: Yeah, well, it was also a challenge because that also created a lot of expectations. And, good uh, point. And frankly, there were there were some things that uh, we were never going to be able to do, like the the idea, you know, and, and Elder Scrolls, uh, Skyrim. You're a sing, it's a single player game, sure. so you know everything everything can be about you you can you know the world can change because of what you do yeah. um and the, the you have like this immense amount of complete freedom to do whatever you want and we had to go with we had to deal with the fact that it's massively multiplayer yeah you're playing with a group um and that there needed to be more structure so we did. we uh we basically uh focused then on, what well, what makes Elder Scrolls Elder Scrolls? It's all that lore, it's all that setting, it's yeah. all of that stuff. And uh, so basically, it's it's not the same game system as Skyrim, but we wanted to give people as much as much of the feel as we can.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think it's really interesting. Now, um, some questions here, and these are very specific Elder Scrolls online questions. So, look, if, if you don't know the answer, just give your best guess based on your experience. David Wheelock asks... Will they, find, will they be able to queue for trials or have heavy sacks glow like chest passives ability? And I tried to clarify what he meant. And he says, queue for trials like for dungeons and will make it easier to group up and grind trial equipment and complete sticker books. Does this make sense to you, this question?
1: Wow, that's that's one he should take to the forums on <laughs> uh, uh, right. for, for the Elder Scrolls people and ask us. A, I don't know the answer. B, if I did know the answer, I oh, would still probably not say anything That's because cool. we don't say things and, you know, sure. you, you, until they're done. and You, you, you don't want
0: your corporate <laughs> overlords to hunt you down and <laughs> roll a percentile assassination chance on you or anything. <laughs> um, all right, so go to the forums. I've got that answer there. Kerry asks, a possible purchase in Crown Store for more space in homes or decorating? Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Talk to, to, <laughs> go to the forums. <laughs> to the, yeah. I think um, I think a lot. But these deep, are fun, these they, are fun questions. These are the, no, no. Is, but yeah.
1: going going to the Elder Scrolls Online forums is a good thing because they are definitely read. They are. Yes. It's not like uh, you know. Sometimes people go to you know have game games have forums that nobody ever reads. Sure. They definitely get read. We've got a whole. There was a whole team that basically it was just our community people that you know manage the forums and you know, compile all what the feedback is and point point out all this kinds of things and uh, yeah and so yeah that's uh, cool they do try they do their best to listen there are well, a lot of voices I will
0: I will let um, everyone know who's asking these questions to go to the forums um another one it's a funny one um it, Oh, so I see. So Elder Scrolls Online launched with three animals as mounts: horse, senche, and gua, spelt G-U-A-R. And I've just googled what they are. Gua, they look they're they're so cute. They're like little sort of lizards, really. (laughs) Super cute. Uh, Anyway, he's saying um, there are several radiant apex options of horse, senche, and other animals. Why are there zero options for gua? Why? Why, Zeb? I don't know, <laughs> but I'm looking, realize, I'm, do I'm, looking at, <laughs> I'm looking at them. I'm looking at them, but I'm thinking these things look so cute. Do they hop or are they run? Are they hoppers or runners?
1: Well, they, kind of, they kind of, they kind of do a kind of a boundy jog, I think.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, th- there were more follow-up questions about the about the GWA raid Raiden APX mount. But look, go to the forums with that one, John. That's a good question. Um, now look we've kind of come to the end of the questions and I just want to say, so when you, so how long have you been retired? Zeb? Is this a recent thing like last couple of months or a couple of years or?
1: Uh, this is no, this has been about for barely a year. So, okay. Are
0: like, you enjoying a chance to wind down and, you know, like smell the roses a bit?
1: A little bit. I, I, I made a promise to myself that when I retired, I was going to not immediately, you know, take up a bunch of freelance work or anything. Sure. Until at least I've had a chance to like, you know,
0: Figure out what is this whole retirement thing, and or until I get completely bored, right? I've got a question for you, like you, because someone like me. Look, I've written three books, but I've written three books while I'm working. You know, and it's very much in my side time, and you know, finding that time. My regular job is finance, you know, and then if I if I retired tomorrow, I'd be like, oh great, I could finally stick into a, the big book I want to write. You know what I mean? Because I'd be like, I've got this time. But when you've done what you've done, your 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 creative sorry your professional life has been in the creative field and like in depth stuff like game design, in in RPGs, and then you go to computer games, which I reckon would be even harder, frankly, for all the reasons you mentioned and long periods. And so when you get to the you, you retire, you know, for you are you like I'm a bit creatively tapped out? You know, I need to sort of recharge the batteries.
1: I I definitely you know there's definitely a need to recharge the batteries. I don't feel like I'm creatively tapped out. I've always yeah. got I've always got yeah like other goofy ideas. Sure. It's it's more a matter of like you know, do I want do I I I know how much energy it'll take me to expand. I mean, yeah. um yeah. Um and so I have to I I I think at this point I am I'm just kind of waiting for a little bit to kind of like okay, let's let's rebuild the 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 energy level and stuff and and also the other thing is, when you retire, you discover, hey, there's a whole lot of stuff I either want to do yeah. or I or I need to do. Um well, maybe you want to take uh, up golf. Takes maybe up my time. It's maybe amazing. you want to
0: take up golf, spend some more time with your wife, or You know, like oh god, I'm terrible at golf. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what I mean, like a hobby yeah. that that is not because it just strikes me that you guys, like, like in all honesty, the audiences. Is out there for you guys expect a lot you know what i mean like keep punching out that product why did you have a year off like keep going and it's like jesus christ like um there's a lot of expectation when it comes i think to to your kind of work you know what i mean and then it's sometimes it must be nice because do you what i'm trying to say is if let's say a year passes and you've kind of chilled out have you got, like, a big book in you that you want to write or something like that? Have you got, like, a big project that you're like, you yeah, know, I do want to do for myself, you know, like my own thing? Oh,
1: I've got a couple. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> cool. Uh, look... I mean, I've
1: am i got a couple and now it's a matter of like, now I got to, now I have to find the discipline. I mean, one of yeah. the things is when you're doing nine to five, the discipline is kind of pushed on you. Yes. Uh, that you, you know, you've got to be in the office, you've got to get this stuff done. Somebody's waiting for a deadline, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're, when you're uh, just doing it because, oh, I want to do it, then it's real easy to kind of like saying, Wow. I don't feel like writing today. I'm going to go, yeah. and then next thing you know, it's like, ah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. Next thing you know, like two months have passed, and you haven't put pen to paper or anything. I, I totally yeah. understand. Look, Zeb, thank you so much for your time. Um, You're always welcome back on Signal. Um, I feel we scratched the surface, but I think we got into some depths as well, and thank you for indulging me on my horde questions here, particularly. <laughs> because- <laughs> well, you know, that's fine. <laughs> and that guy out there, he's got to go and find the Oracle for himself, like we all do, really, you know? <laughs> um all right Zeb thank you so much and good night.
1: Oh thank you. It's been fun talking with you.
0: Fantastic. <laughs>